off to a little bit of a late start normally we try to do these at the beginning of the that next month but life gets in the way sometimes so we are talking now about uh july august and september's episodes and a lot has gone on this year for both of us but uh the last recap we did like this you were especially bogged down and so andy uh shawl our good buddy uh stepped in to help out Yan, everybody I think wants to know, tell us how you've been doing. Tell us what the la- what this year has been for you like for you so far. So this this year was a big deal for for our family. I mean uh, dad got diagnosed with um basically mesothelioma in at the end of January, beginning of February. And uh, for anybody anybody that doesn't know what that is it's a asbestos-related cancer, specifically uh, related to industrial exposure to asbestos. And so he got diagnosed with that and then was basically 100% disabled. Now, so, real quick, I wanted to – so for anyone who doesn't know, this is really the first time you and I have been – I mean, we have we keep tabs on each other, but this is the first conversation you and I have had really since this started going on. So I have a lot of questions for you anyway. You're, explain to people how your dad got this, because he's a scientist. He was not like working in, you know, in a blue-collar coal mine job or something like that. So how did he even get exposed? So when he was younger, before uh, uh, his organic chemistry degree, he worked as a as a chemist in a basically a power station, a power plant, and it was uh, I think it was coal fired, mm. and it was probably coal fired. Most of the stuff in this area at the time would have been coal fired, and uh, one of the things he would have to do, maybe once or twice a year is when the boilers were in decommission, he would have to go in and climb in the boiler and collect samples. Mm. 
a lot of the pipes were lagged with asbestos and inside the boiler was a huge amount of asbestos and he'd go in the boiler be on deep uh, basically shut down for maintenance and he'd be climbing in from the bottom and once the once the door had shut to go in the only way for them to get out was to climb right to the top several stories through the through the boiler and uh, out at the top and so he'd be uh, he'd be in taking samples and taking junior chemists through through the work process and and so he'd be breathing in all the dust and that's what did it yeah and so uh, he got diagnosed with this and it takes anywhere from it can be as little as 20 years to develop it could be as much as 50 or more years to develop and it basically the asbestos fiber gets into the lung lining and irritates it, irritates it, irritates it, and eventually it causes uh, causes it to go haywire and develop abnormal cells, which becomes the cancer. So he had been, and I, I've mentioned this before, your dad has always been a very lively, active person, just a total thirst for life, never gets down, and then out of nowhere. And what's interesting is, so my dad dies January 30th, December and 30th. we always, or I'm sorry, yes, December 30th. Thank you, December 30th. And um, every year, instead of a Christmas card, Farrah and I send out a an email, like a newsletter of what how our last year went, um, the highlights. We count down our top ten favorite albums or books or movies or whatever. And I sent that out a couple of days late this year because of my dad. And your dad replied to my email just saying, you know, we're so sorry about your dad and he was such a force. And I still have this email. And it was two weeks later, three weeks later, that you told me that he uh, was, had, they had found the cancer and that was going to be it. And I just think I still have this email where your dad being his real self before he knew that anything was about to change in a matter of days, you know? Yeah, I mean, he he played at somebody's wedding in December, and then the guy that actually built so the his school friend is a builder and built the house that we live in, and uh, so his part his partner she she died from COVID the Sunday right after Christmas. In oh. fact, we were my dad and I were around there the night before Christmas Eve because one of the stores in town was open late and we needed to pick a couple of things up. And his his buddy called and said, I've been trying to get hold of Christine all day. I can't get a response and I'm I can't go out because he was isolating. I said, can you go around and see if there's any lights on or knock the door and see if she wakes up, if the, if any lights come on? And so we were around there, bang, 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 bang. And then this was on a Wednesday night. And then a few days later, she was gone. And so he was playing at her funeral. He was playing pipes, bagpipes. So this, this is another one. He, he used to march with a band, the band that played at his funeral. He would march 
with them. So one of the things they did, they would go to a little a town called Linlithgow, and it would be they would they would march from about eight in the morning all day, and they would they would have some you know like breaks for lunch and stuff like that. But they would be on their feet marching one end of the town to the other and back all day for you know a whole whole day basically. So he was he was really fit, and he gets to this lady's funeral when he tries to blow up the bag and he couldn't blow the bag up mm. and he was br- quite breathless and so he oh. came home ran upstairs to his bed and just struggled with stairs and stuff and so mom called uh, had him call the the doctor's office and got the triage nurse and Initially, she thought it might be COVID, so made him go take a COVID test. That came back negative, so still wasn't getting any better. A few days called in, and so they thought, well, maybe it's a chest infection. So they gave him antibiotics, like a a course of antibiotics. So he took that, still not any good. And so... He called in and said, I need to see a doctor. And, and so the doctor went in. He went in, saw the doctor. So this is late January. Saw the doctor and she re- referred him immediately to the hospital for tests. And he was in a few days and about a week later, they confirmed it as epithelioid mesothelioma. So sad. And, and his... Uh, his- quality of life deteriorated almost immediately didn't it yeah i mean he was classified immediately as 100 percent disabled he he really struggled to do stairs he really struggled to do breathing he had this massive lump where they took the biopsy the cancer cells tracked out and just rocketed and it his original diagnosis was without treatment, he might get nine months max. And he actually ended up, even with the treatment, he got five. It's crazy. It's crazy how fast it happened. Don't you, is it, how are you feeling? I mean, I'm still coming to terms with my dad. It still doesn't quite feel real to me. It's beginning to hit me a little bit because Thanksgiving's coming up and that's my very favorite holiday. And we always spend it with my parents in Southern Utah. And that's his big thing. He loves Thanksgiving. He does most of the cooking. The whole family comes and spends the week down in St. George. Um, and I look forward to that every year. And uh-huh. last year we didn't do it because num- COVID numbers were spiking. And my folks were like, let's just take Christmas this year off. You know, we don't, we want to be careful. We don't want to be putting anyone in any danger. We'll just come meet up with everybody up in northern Utah around Salt Lake at Christmas. We'll just see everybody at Christmas. No, you know, no big deal. Well, he caught COVID like two weeks later and died two and a half weeks. weeks after that. Yeah. And now Thanksgiving's coming and we're trying to figure out where should we go? What should we do? How are we going to celebrate? And it just, it's gone forever. My favorite time of year has been changed forever. And so, like, how are you doing? You lived with your folks. Yeah, so, you know, basically from January to beginning of July, I was primary carer for both of them. So I was doing everything. 
I mean, I hadn't I hadn't gone back to work yet, so I I went back to work in May, so that added an extra onto that, and so oh man, by the time my sisters got here in July, I was on fumes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and your mom has her own health issues as well. Uh-huh. So you're taking care of both of them. And now that he's gone, you're still primary caregiver to your mom, hopefully getting some help there. But um, you just got a lot on your plate, man. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, not easy. It's, it's what it is. And so... Uh, while all of this was going on earlier this year, now when we did the recap back in beginning of April, you were either just starting a new job or just about to start a new job that you didn't want to talk about. Tell us about your new job. Oh, it's awesome. I totally love it. it so what I do is I'm a development operations cloud engineer and I work on Google Cloud Platform for a big media company. I mean, a big media company and uh, we're owned by Comcast and and I got to do work on some cool projects in fact uh, some of the stuff I was working on before my dad died was for providing automated infrastructure messaging for for a product health monitoring capability and they just released uh, a, a TV that has, uh, if you get the normal product, you have to have a satellite dish and a phone line and a set box and a bunch of other stuff. And this new TV that they just released has that all built in and Dolby Atmos and a, a streamlined user interface so they can, it has a, so like you can add a playlist. And so if you add stuff to your playlist, it'll go and find everything oh, of really? that. It'll go and find every. So, say you you like a show over here called Peaky Blinders. It would go and find every episode of Peaky Blinders and and stick it in your playlist for you to watch, hey. no matter no matter what platform it's on. Really? And so you yeah. So you, you can do so. So you know, like if you if you got a smart TV, you you might have an app for Amazon Prime. You might have an app for Netflix. And you'll you'll go into to each one to find the various content. Well, the the front end home screen for this for this new uh, TV, the user interface integrates all that in. So if you want to watch something from Netflix, it's the all your content is integrated already. Yeah. That'd be great. It's got to be a fun company. I mean, fun. Work is work, but it's got to be more fun working at a company where the subject matter is a little more interesting than, I don't know, you know, banking. Like yeah, banking. banking. Yeah, your old job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is. Uh, there's there's nothing interesting about banking. I no. hate to say it. No. Okay. Good. Well, good. So, I mean, there's good and bad going on with you. I, uh, I'll I'll do a quick update on my trip to Poland. I mentioned earlier this year that, um, well, I got, I got, I earned a trip from work. So when you're in sales with large companies, large organizations every year, they, if you achieve a certain high level of your quota, in our case, I think it was 120%, then you go to what's called 
President's Club or Diamond Club or something like that. And it's a all expenses paid trip um, on the company where they send all the like high performers that can go and uh, whatever, have a week long vacation. And I got lucky enough. I earned that trip last year and the every year there's a big destination and this year it was supposed to be Bali. And um, so they had, they scheduled the, the trip for end of September in the hopes that COVID would die down enough that we could all go to Bali. Well, they eventually dis- determined that it just wasn't going to happen. The resort where we were all going to go could handle one or two people ind- individually, but a, a large group of international people coming from all over the different all over the world with various restrictions and whatever, they just couldn't do it. And so instead, they canceled the trip. And my company, Autodesk, said, "Instead, what we'll do is we'll give you." My wife gets uncomfortable every time I say it, but it was a nice chunk of change. $15,000. We'll give you $15,000 and the time off and you can go do whatever you want instead. And originally I mentioned this because our original plan was to go see you guys. We had intended to come see you come to Scotland on vacation last year because your parents had never met Farah, And, um, Farrah always wanted to go to Scotland on a much broader trip. We were going to come see you guys and we were going to go do all the things that there is to do in Scotland. And then COVID happened, so it didn't work out. And then we've been waiting all year for the restrictions in Scotland to die down because we wanted to get over there to see your dad before he died. And um, one last chance. And the restrictions were never weakening. We would have to have gone to Scotland and then spend 10 days in quarantine. And that's just, uh, we couldn't do that, you know? Yeah. And when your dad died, it was even less of a, motivation like well the whole reason we were going to go was to get there before Yurik died and we didn't make it so now where should we go um we had already gone to hawaii earlier this year so we weren't really in the mood for anything tropical or a beach or anything like that we thought we should go somewhere we would never go otherwise and we'd always heard really good things about eastern europe um so we started thinking about croatia prague budapest budapest unfortunately was closed so that kind of knocked that off the list and I started reaching out to friends I knew, like Patrick Dupuis and uh, Mike Siegel, people I know who do a lot of traveling, and asked them, where do, you guys, where do you recommend? And consistently, a lot of people were saying really great things about Poland, specifically Krakow. We wanted to go to Auschwitz. And so we were trying to find a place where we could do, um, that was close to other things where you know we could go see other things within a day, maybe whether that be in this case, Auschwitz or another major city or whatever. So we were gone for nine days because we had been given a nice chunk of change. We were able to spend, stay in a really nice hotel. And, um, we just walked around Krakow for five days. We saw lots of castles and cathedrals. We saw the Schindler museum. We watched uh, Schindler's list again, right before we left so that we could get a feel for all the locations. Um, we went to the salt mine. If anyone who knows where that is, so we did four or five days in Krakow, then we went to Auschwitz, which was every bit just as powerful and emotional and impactful as it should be. I'm I'm of the opinion now that everybody should see Auschwitz at least once in their lifetime. It should be mandatory. You will never forget. Have you been there, Jan? Yeah, I've been so I've been when I was a kid and then I took Nicholas a few years ago. 
the guy that was our driver said that the, around the age 14, 15 in Poland, it's mandatory for all the school yeah. classes to go at, during that year. And so, yeah. And yeah. he interestingly said that the, the ones, some of the places that are more skeptical or skeptical of the whole thing, like Sweden, Really? Yeah. And I wonder why. I don't know, but he said he had a, a, a passenger from Sweden who was taking a lot of photographs, and asked, he asked why they were taking so many. He says, and the the person from Sweden said that it was they were quite skeptical. People back home were quite skeptical of the really? the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. So it's what got me is the the cases with the hair and the. The yes. glasses and the yep. the sh- shoes and the little yeah, the, um, cases and yeah, all those things. Yep, I tried to post a ton of pictures at the end of every day. So if anyone wants to, they can. Um, I'm probably Facebook friends with a lot of you, but you're welcome to get on my page or whatever and check out the pictures. It was it was really amazing. I think one of our really devoted listeners is Lars. Uh, Roman or Romine or whatever, who I think lives in Sweden. Maybe he can tell us why that's the case. Um, anyway, so then after we did Auschwitz, which was incredible, we spent the last three or four days down in the mountains in the southwest part of Poland in a place called Zakopane. And um, we did, it was, so I, I, one of the, the second best thing of the whole trip, we had, it was going to rain while we were there. And we had a couple of things we wanted to do. There was a a medium-sized hike we were going to do. There was a river rafting trip, and then there was a giant hike we were going to do. And we knew that on one of those days, it was going to rain like crazy. So what what things would we want to do when it was in the pouring rain? And we decided the river raft was probably the best. Well, get this. So there's this, um, I'm blanking on the name of the gorge. That's one thing I got to say. I know you're Polish, Jan. That is not the most attractive language in the world or easiest to understand. It is. It is not... Uh, intuitive at all. But anyway, wherever we were, there was this two and a half hour river rafting trip. On most days, there are like 500 boats a day going down this river. And with guides and punters, you know, the guy, just like in England, the guy's punting with the big sticks, (laughs) pushing us along. But on this particular day, because it was pouring rain, there was not a single boat. And they would only go out if they had at least eight people on a boat. So we hired a driver and paid him like 150 bucks to take us to the town or to the, to the place where the raft raft trip was. And there was nobody there. And he said, well, look, there's a castle nearby. Why don't you go toward the castle? I'll stay here. And if anyone else shows up, I'll call you and you guys can come over and do the rafting trip. Otherwise he would have just turned around and taken us back home. We would have sat in our Airbnb all day and we were out 150. 50 bucks for paying him. So that's what we did. And luckily about an hour later, he called and said, there are people here hurrying get back. And we did. And so there was a group of us that, and we were the only boat that went down this raft, uh, this river on our raft. And it was gorgeous. And the fact that, yes, going down on a beautiful blue sky day would have been great, but going down in the fog and you can still see the mountains and they're right there. And Poland is on the left of you. And, um, Slovakia is on the right and, uh, 
being the only boat out there with just a few people is was way better uh, an experience than it would have been otherwise with hundreds of other bo- uh, boats surrounding you. It was incredible. And then the last day, day we were there, we hiked. <laughs> we did a 12 and a half mile hike up a mountain. It was rough. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the world's biggest hiker. The first half was on a paved road, but you were going up. So that was okay. And then you get to this giant, it looks a little bit like Lake Tahoe. It's a giant lake, crystal clear, beautiful up in the mountains. And then you walk around the lake and you go up this super steep, steep, almost rock climbing mountain to another lake perched further up hill. And we did that whole thing. And it took us start to finish about seven and a half hours to do this whole thing. And, um, I've never, oh my gosh. And I'm sweating like crazy. So my clothes are damp and you got to stop every few feet and breathe. And, uh, it's one of those things that was terrible while it was happening, but you're so glad you did it by the end. And after we posted pictures, you said, this is where your family, you have a story with this area. What Uh is it? So if you, you look at the beginning of the second world war, my my grandfather was in the second regiment light cavalry in the pull in the the Pomorz army and the Polish army, and so he w- he would have been at the Tukla Forest battle, and his his unit was basically wiped out, and so him and friends they they would be pulling dead bodies onto themselves to mask. To, to help hide themselves as the as the the fight was going on, and then they would clear out once it was safe for them to get out. And so he went back to his hometown, collected his stuff and friends, and they took it, they headed for the south of Poland. So they had two options: to go south out of the mount the Tatra Mountains, or they could go east into into Russia. And they they chose to go south, and a lot of the ones that that went east were captured by the Russians and just killed. And uh, so they went south, and they went to the Zakopane area, and that's where they walked out of Poland into Slovakia, into Hungary, and across to Italy. And then they got, I think they got a boat from Italy to, to Spain, and then walked in Spain and they met up somewhere with the remnants of the, the Polish army and that's how and ended up being shipped to Scotland. That's amazing. Yeah. It it was so crazy when you told us that because that's exactly where we were, that exact area. Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining the Makeviches of old, <laughs> you know, soldiering through this area to find freedom. Incredible. So anyway, the point of all of that is that just see the world, people. I It's uh-huh. so easy when you're working hard and you are raising kids and money's tight and there's a global pandemic to just not think about travel and vacations and getting out there and seeing the world before it's too late. I'm so glad we did this trip. I don't know when we'll ever go back to Poland, if ever, but I'm so glad of all the random places in the world, that's where we picked to go on vacation because it was fantastic. So just was, an encouragement, go. Yeah, and wasn't Vilichka worth the the cost to the for for taking the photographs? Oh yeah. Wait, which what's Vilichka? What that's is that? the that's the salt mine. Oh yeah, that's what I thought. I could see. I can't remember anything's real name. Yes, 
And um, yeah, I mean, there is a giant cathedral, an entire cathedral carved out of the salt mine hundreds and hundreds of feet below the earth. That's how big this is. There's a church, there's a cathedral, there's tons of stuff like that in the salt mine under the earth. It is crazy. And uh, <laughs> for any Americans, while we're on there, I'm thinking the amazing race has to have come through here at some point. And um, sure enough, in like season 28, I think it was, or 27, the amazing race was filmed in Krakow and they went into the salt mine. But I had to, you have to pay to watch the episode, so I haven't done that yet. But it's just uh, the world is an amazing place. There's so much to see. And what was really interesting to me is that we saw maybe 10 Americans the entire time. And half of those were probably at the salt mine. In general, there were not a lot of Americans. If we heard people speaking English, they were usually Brits. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I, I counted because they were so rare. I saw, I think, five black women and 13 black men. And I just thought, and I couldn't get close to any of them to know if they were speaking Polish. It just seemed counterintuitive. I just thought, how would black people have gotten to Krakow? What must their life be like? Because there were hardly any black people anywhere, you know? Um, Not surprising. It's interesting. The last time I went uh, to to Krakow, we stayed. So you got the the big square and you got the Sukunitsa in the in the middle. Yep. We stayed just off the south end of the square. You probably saw it. Oh, there's a sure there's did. a there's a little restaurant called Mar- Marmalada. You yes. probably saw Yeah, yes. you probably you probably saw that. We stayed in a little uh, boutique hotel just a bit further down the street from that. Mm. And the guy that was running the place was uh, Syrian. Oh. And, and he he'd come to Poland, he did he'd got out from Syria and he was he absolutely you know he worked works really hard and he loves being where he is He's, I asked him asked him about it and he said you know he was horrified at the devastation in his own country the the devastation that all the the nice things by the yeah. by groups like ISIS and that kind of stuff he just he was so grateful to be where he was. Wild. That's wild. Yeah. It's uh it's just so fascinating when you get out of America and see the rest of the world. Especially Europe, because you realize how young America is. It's a child compared to the rest of the world. Um anyway, fascinating trip. I'm so glad we did it. Uh okay, let's count down the last three months. Before we do, I just want to mention I fail to mention this more often and it's completely my fault. We have been a part of the Pantheon podcast network, I think most of this year. And um, they very graciously share our episodes. We are featured on their website, um, but I forget to mention them. And so I want to make sure that I give them props. I don't exactly know what it means to be a part of the network other than they're very supportive and promoting us and all the other really great uh, podcasts on the network. Decibel Geek's on there. Our friend Brad Page and I'm in Love With That Song is on there. And so uh, there's a lot of other really good, especially music-based podcasts on Pantheon. So thanks, guys, for uh, asking us to join your network. It means a lot. Um, Okay. 
I think the first episode of this quarter was with Donnie V of Enough's Enough. Some of these I'll just say I don't have a ton of, you know, interesting back behind the scenes information. So uh, some I do, some I don't. Donnie V, uh, I know that he's had a lot of struggles over his life with drugs and staying sober. It's kind of one of the things that did in the band. The band is splintered. You know, Donnie V is doing his solo thing and Chip Zenuff, who I've seen in concert and was fantastic, is out there furthering the Enough Zenuff name. And um, I had heard Donnie on a Decibel Geek podcast interview a while back, and Donnie did non Donnie talked nonstop for like two hours. And so when I was approached earlier this year, <clears throat> do you want to have Donnie on the show? I thought, well, I do because I love Enough's Enough, but I don't know. I mean, I'm a little nervous. So we did it, and then <laughs> whatever it was, he wasn't exactly sure what he, he was promoting the fact that he might be putting out some new music, but he didn't know when. And so I thought, well, I'll just do this interview and I'll hang on to it. And if and when this new music ever comes out, I'll put out the episode. And he ended up being a lot more sober, not just literally sober, but just sober-minded in the interview than I thought. I was expecting to sit back and let him just talk and talk and talk. But he was a lot more conversational than that. Um, very open about his own struggles. He has been putting out new music, and I think there's a box set that was just released recently. Um, or announced recently, so I'm glad I did that one. I uh, that band is fantastic, and I was ex I was prepared for the worst, and it didn't end up being bad at all. Did you know of Enough's Enough at all, Yan? I'd heard of them, but I hadn't really listened to them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, Donnie was great. I'm glad he came up. That that episode ended up doing really well. I it was I did not know how devout his fan base was, so I'm glad we did that. Uh, next yeah. up was Michael Cirovolo from Beauty and Chaos. Oh, wait. Did you have something you wanted to say about Donnie? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I, re I mean, a lot of this quarter is probably on autopilot. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could <laughs> imagine. Yeah. yeah, so I probably won't have as much insight as you do. <laughs> That's fine. I figured. And, uh, yeah, there's no question you've had a lot going on. And I'm just grateful that you're still, that we're still partners in this thing that you find time to make this one of the many things on your plate these days. Thank you. Um, okay. Next up was Michael Cervolo from beauty and chaos. I have a pretty hard and fast rule that I don't want to feature new bands on the show and it's nothing against new bands, but I just figure I'd rather have a zero policy than a maybe one here and there, because there's just so many other stories of legacy artists I want to tell ahead of new ones. And if you start if you start cherry picking new bands to talk about, then where does it end? And then, I mean, I get so I get pitched so often about having some new band on the show, and it's just easy to put out a blanket statement and say, no, that's not what we do. But I made an exception in this case. Number one, Michael's a really nice guy, and he was kind enough to send me his music. But the reason, main reason, is that he's had so many fantastic artists work with him on his music that I thought it was worth it because there's legacy artist stories to be told in there. I mean, Robin Zander, Michael Anthony, our former guest Wayne Hussey, Tim Palmer, 
uh, the Astons from Gene Loves Jezebel, tons and tons of people. And I just think, how does, no offense, Michael, if you're listening, how does really a guy on the fringes, kind of a no-name guy, get all of these amazing people, Roland Boland, Mark Boland's son, to come perform on his music? How does that even happen? And the music is great. It's a reflection of the bands I just talked about, like the Mission and the yeah. kind of goth rock stuff. And uh, so I thought he had a really interesting story to tell. He works for a guitar company, and there, through the, their connections, he's able to get all these people to work on his music with him. It's incredible. I don't know how he does it, but it's a miracle. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that how he got those those folks to work with him. I mean, especially you know his stories about working with Wayne and all those other folks. That was that was great. Yeah. And when both Wayne and Tim Palmer come on the show and when they start talking about the things they're working on these days and they mention Beauty and Chaos, and I don't even know what that is when they say that. I've not heard of Beauty and Chaos. And then Michael's like, hey, I'm that guy. My band is the one that Tim and Wayne mentioned. I thought, well, yes, let's. we should tell this story. So I'm glad we did. Um, I don't know. I think most people listen to our podcast for these legacy stories, and I totally get it. But if you want to hear how legacy artists work with a new artist, um, check that episode out. Next up is Dennis DeYoung. Um, I have been, I've reached out to Dennis a few times over the years. Um, he, I get a lot of requests for him. I've heard him on enough other podcasts that the guy is practically a stand-up comedian. You just wind him up and let him go. And he does all the top talking. And sometimes it's a little bit of a turnoff for me. I got to be honest, because I want, I like when people can get introspective, you know, when we can get kind of beneath the skin, talk about, uh, see them, hear them at their most vulnerable a little bit. And he seems to protect himself by being a real, you know, kind of Catskill mountains comedian. But I thought when he came on, he was great. And I don't know if I found him on the right day or I asked him something that put him in the right mood or whatever it was, he was a little cranky that day and I loved it because he just let it fly, you know? I think he's given up on the fact that sticks will ever come back together. I've heard some rumors about why that might be. Um, there's a lot of family politics involved in this. Um, and he's probably just saying, you know what, to heck with it. I make plenty of money on royalties. I've put out the, these last two solo albums that are great. I can be done and be fine with it. I'm not going to fight with sticks about doing a reunion. I thought we got a really great interview out of him, and I was shocked. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was awesome. I mean, sticks yeah. is a great band too. They are, they are, and he's a he's such a funny guy. He could just do this all by himself easily, like a stand-up tour of just telling stories from his past. He's hilarious. I'm I love that we got him on a good day. Um, okay. Uh, I was invited by our friend Mark Linsenmeyer to join his podcast called Music of Your Youth. Um, or I'm sorry, his podcast is called Pretty Much Pop. The topic was the music of your youth. And why do you continue to sort of go back to that music as your, why is that still your comfort zone? And I was really glad that he asked. In fact, he and I are doing another one of these re uh, coming up in the next few weeks on um, what makes for a perfect album. Uh, not a song, not a collection of songs, but an album. Why is that a good thing? So I'm excited to do more with Mark. He's great. And I thought the people on this panel were really thoughtful. And so I wanted to share it with everybody. It went out on his feed. And I said, do you mind if I share it with my listeners? Because I think they'd like it too. And one of the things that I kind of came to grips with when I was preparing is that I realized, so 
most of the music that I love is from around 86, 87. 80s in general, but especially those two years. Those were big for me. And yet, when I look back, those were two of the least, the most miserable years of my life. Because those were that was middle school. And I was desperately unhappy in middle school. And so I thought, why does the music that I love most come from the years when I was the most unhappy? And the only thing I could think of, the, the kind of epiphany I had is that Normally we say that we love a certain kind of music because it reminds us of good old days. I realized what I might, for me, I might like this music because it reminds me of an escape that I was having from the bad old days. You know what I mean? And it just uh-huh. put a different twist on it. And I hadn't quite thought of it before, but I thought that probably, that probably uh, defines it for me. It's not that those were good years. It was that at, during those years, all I had to make me happy was music and that's why I go back to those years, to the music from that time, not to remember my life at that time. Anyway, I thought that was a, it was a really good conversation. I'm glad we did it. Um, I, I just put that one up. I don't think you had anything to do with that one. But the next one, uh, Memoirs of a Roadie with Joel Miller. That was so, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> interesting is a good word. Um, yeah. So, okay. I get approached sometimes about books and I, I always try to read a guest book before they come on. So I just feel like I'm constantly pouring through a pile of books, but sometimes people will pitch me things that I think sound interesting. And I, so my good friend, Dave Carruth, who, whenever Dave and I hang out, we have these long, deep into the night conversations about music. I thought maybe Dave would like to do this with me. So we did the Jeffrey Lee Campbell book about Sting, which was great. We've since done the Who book, which won't be featured in this because it just came out. But um, when this one was pitched, Memoirs of a Roadie, and I thought, what? yeah, what must life, life be like for a roadie? And I loved that book. It was really, really interesting to get to know the subculture of people in charge to put on the shows that we like. What I didn't love or didn't realize, I should say, and this is not a knock on Joel at all, but when Joel and I and Dave got on the phone together, I realized that culturally we were just coming from very different places. I you realize that roadie world is probably really broy, you know, a lot of guys farting a lot, scratching their balls, getting drunk, you know, just very... <laughs> hyper-masculine environment. <laughs> no one's really talking about their feelings or getting vulnerable. And <laughs> that's just not, not the no. kind of... What's that? Probably not. Probably not. And that I'm more that way. And so I just realized, oh, this feels like... Joel feels like the kind of guy who in junior high would have you know, picked on me and made me feel terrible about myself. And none of that reads through on the book. I love the book. I just realized, boy, we're coming from totally different places. So I had some reservations about whether I even wanted to put that out. And a couple of you noticed it and commented on it or sent me a message. And so, yeah, I'm not, I wasn't hundred percent proud of that one. Um, because I felt like by putting it out there, I was supporting or validating kind of the broy culture. And I am not at all. Um, I hope people just see it as a sliver or a slice of life for that, those kinds of people. Cause the book, if you read the book, it's really, it's really entertaining and really interesting. So I have mixed feelings about that one, 
but um, anyway, so ho- hopefully people see it for what it is and um, we didn't offend too many people. I don't know. I have a feeling we've probably cultivated a listenership that's not too different than us. You know what I mean, Yan? Like oh, all kinds yeah. of music and uh, not super bro-y and that kind of stuff. So it probably was a shock to their system too when they're hearing something that just sounds out of character. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. What do you think? Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I, mean, I think there's there's something to be said, some value to to hearing about you know experiences working in that environment for whatever artists. How do they feel about you know doing this particular thing for for an artist? Because these guys, the roadies, they they must get tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That was just, my question too. Just as much as the artists. In fact, yeah. it's probably it's probably rougher on them. They're working more, working yeah. longer, you know. Yep. Their hours are worse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, go check out the book. Uh you can skip the podcast, but go read the book because it's really interesting. Actually, don't skip the podcast. Listen to it anyway. That's true. Because, Good point. Because Good we point. want the we, we want people to download our stuff. Because that's true. The quick, the <laughs> quicker the, the quicker we get to the million, the quicker I give out the goodies. Yes, um, yeah. So we don't want to give all the details away, but we have a very you uh, recently purchased a very very special gift to give once we hit a million downloads. Uh huh. Yeah. I, di- I did. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get there soon. It might be a year or two away, but uh, hopefully soon we can get there. Well, I'm just going to start collecting stuff to, <laughs> to to give away. So once we get there, there'll be just a, you know various yeah. bits and pieces. Good. I can attest that what that what we're vaguely talking about right now is one of the coolest things you'll ever see. So. Hopefully, hopefully that uh, entices people to share and listen and download more, more, more. Okay, after <laughs> to go completely the other direction, after the memoirs of a roadie episode, we put out Paula Cole, which was a such a beautiful, thoughtful conversation. She was such a sweet person. I've been trying to get her on here for a while. It's never worked out. She's always seemed a little shy and maybe not into media um but thankfully this time it worked out and I, d- I don't know what was going on with me that day but i i think i choked up three or four different times in the interview for no good reason other than just talking about her and mental health and spirituality and life in general was just really choking me up that day she was so sweet I really loved her. And I know that I think she gets marginalized a lot because people got so sick of hearing that I don't want to wait song that they just stopped paying attention. And I understand that. But if you if you work around that song and keep listening, there's beautiful stuff throughout the entire career. Just ignore that song if it bothers you. Try everything else. What were you thinking? Oh, I love that we got her on the show. She's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I would personally love to see more women guests on. Me too, me too. Um, it's funny. Me and all my other 
podcast friends, we all say the same thing, whether it's Noel or Steve Cooper or whoever. It's just difficult. And I don't know why we have, it's starting to get a little better. I've got a couple in the can that will be coming out in the next little while. Um, so it's getting better, but it's just difficult. That and R&B artists, I don't know why. It's just, and it's too bad because I would love to feature more of them. Show, I'd love it. Um, American Quilt is Paula's new album and it's gorgeous. It's her version of old kind of um, uh, folk music, Negro spirituals, whatever it might be. It's beautiful stuff. Uh, after Paula was Andy Scott from The Sweet. They are a band that I've only started getting into the last few years and i'm so glad because they are fantastic and just killer sludgy power pop glam rock i love it and andy is the only living member left of the band uh-huh. and so when they last year they put out this album called isolation boulevard their most famous album is desolation boulevard he and what guys are left because of covid decided to re-record some of their songs Normally stuff like that I just think is really redundant and unnecessary, but their versions, especially because they have a new lead singer, their versions of the old songs have a lot of muscle to them. I loved this album. It was really strong. And uh, you guys couldn't see it, but (laughs) Andy uh, has long, flowing, pearly, white, glisteningly white hair, and he's got it cut like he's got bangs, and then it just flops down. Uh, it just hangs down. It's so weird. And it turns out it's his real hair. I wasn't going to mention it on zoom cause I didn't want to make him feel weird or anything. I like, is that real? turns out it was real. It's crazy. So anyway, check out the sweet or sweet or whatever they are. Um, they are one of the best glam rock power pop bands that's ever been. And I'm, I'm fairly new to them. Oh, I love their stuff. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. You probably so, grew up. They were a bigger deal over there, I think, than they were uh-huh. here. Yeah, and yeah. Nicholas loves it, too. Oh, good. Yeah, they are fantastic. I'm so glad I finally came around. I think that's, um, one, th- I think that's one thing. Just like, just like you've instilled some awesome music for your kids, Nicholas listens to, Nicholas listens to stuff that kids his age would go like, what? Yeah. Isn't that great when you can see that kind of influence? For years, my kids loved Kiss. They were obsessed with Kiss. And then they really grew out of it, and now they're really into their own stuff. Graham, who's 12, all he wants to listen to is rap music. And Georgia, who's 14, is in love with Harry Styles. And I've come around on Harry, too. He's great. I love it. I took her to see him in concert and everything. But she has recently kind of discovered Def Leppard. She loves Def Leppard. And so she and I might do a Def Leppard episode here soon. Oh, they're awesome live. Yes, they are. I've seen them four or five times now. They're so good. Uh, in fact, I saw them with Kiss, actually. Um, let's see. Okay, after that was last I saw them with, oh. uh, I saw them with uh, Coverdale, White Snake. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. Ooh. That would be amazing. I've never seen White Snake. Love David Coverdale. Yeah, that was awesome. So jealous. Um, Okay, next up was Lyle Workman. When I was pitched Lyle, I don't normally like to say whether people were pitched or I went after them. I um, debated because I've had this rule for a long time that I don't want to feature two people from the same band. I'm starting to 
loosen up on that uh, as shown with Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, I'm less worried about that now. I've, um, especially he has his very own story. I mean, he was in Bourgeois Tag. They own, they were short-lived anyway. And then he's been a very prominent session guy for a long time. And the, him doing the soundtracks to Judd Apatow movies, I thought was a really, really interesting bit of trivia that um, was would be fun to talk about. So... And I know you guys usually, I always hear from people who love the session episodes, session guy episodes and the producer episodes. So I thought um, people would like that one too. And uh, he was, turned out to be a really good guy. I don't know that he's worked on quite as much stuff that, I don't know, is exactly in my wheelhouse, but there were still plenty of wonderful stories there. He was a really good dude. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was really uh, a, a good one again. I was probably an autopilot at, at this point. So I, probably, <laughs> I don't have yeah. much to, to add in yeah. on this one because that yeah. would be probably about a week maybe before my dad died. Yep. And we were just, oh. Yeah, you were focused on other things as you should have been. Um, which <laughs> leads us to the next episode, which was with Steve uh, from The Vapors and uh, Tony from Cruzados. And that was the week that your dad passed, I believe. Was it that <laughs> week, or was it the? Uh, yeah, because he passed. He on was the about to. Yeah, he he passed on the Sunday, and Ken so graciously stepped in and 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 filled in on this one for me. And big props to Ken for picking this up. I really appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, we're so grateful for Ken. Uh, I mean, Ken is an angel, honestly. Um, the world's a better place, thanks to Ken, and I'm so grateful that he stepped in and helped us out. Um, Aaron Syret, who we normally go to, the, orig the original producer, couldn't do it that week. And um, I don't normally do two furs, but in this case, I had two, two interviews that were a little bit on the short side that were kind of telling similar stories. Bands that had put out a couple albums during their heyday, took 30 years off or whatever, and then came back with new music. And um, so I thought it fit, fit well together. So I put them together and um, I love both those bands. They both did, that episode did well. And the new music from both those bands is, are great. And uh, Ken was able to make it happen. So thank you, Ken, for doing that. I'm trying to think, did he do Guy Pratt or did you do that one? No, no, he would have done the one on the 10th of August, for the 10th of August. Hmm. Because that was the day of my dad's funeral. So Okay, yeah. So, okay, let me tell you the Guy Pratt story. That's one of our most popular episodes of the year. Um, I had... So, uh, like a lot of you, probably the Rock on Tours is my favorite current music podcast. Him and Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet uh, interview people from their past. And because they have histories with all these people and have known them, these conversations are just a blast. You're really, talk about an inter interview where you're just talking to, you're listening to friends catch up. That's what this is. And um, Guy's name came up a lot after Iva Davies came out earlier this year because Guy was in Ice House. And when, I don't think I even knew about Rock on Tours then, it was a little bit later and people were saying, have you heard this? Now I listen to it religiously. Um, I thought I would see if one of them would come on. And at the time, Gary was putting out a solo album, and I figured he's 
Pete's probably talking to everybody right now. I'll see what Guy's doing, especially since with the Ice House connection. And uh, so I stalked him a little bit on Facebook or Twitter or both or something. And he agreed to come on. And here's the deal. So we do this interview um, and we go for like two hours and we still have tons of things to talk about. And uh, so we decide we'll, we'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. So the first half was great. It was, um, he's just obviously, he's a really funny storyteller. He's probably feeling himself a lot right now because their, po- their podcast is so popular. He's a really great, he's used to doing like stand up and telling stories for large crowds. And uh, so he's in it. He's just, he knows how to be a showman. So the second interview comes around and um, we start talking about his work with Michael Jackson. And I ask him, and this got cut out, I ask him, so do you have any Michael Jackson stories? And he gets really mad. He said, oh, that is, that is just fucking weak research right there. Shoddy research, that's the word. That is some fucking shoddy research right there. I have told that story so many, I'm not going to tell that story again. I have, go look it up, go look it up. I should not have to tell this story again. That is some shoddy research right there. And I'm feeling so small and stupid. And after we got off, I looked it up and I realized, yes, I had heard this story before. He had told it somewhere, but I didn't know it or I didn't have it at my fingertips right that minute. And we went from having this really great rapport and him being really fun and funny and effervescent to him getting so angry at me. And it was one of the worst. I've just never felt smaller or dumber in my whole life. And I tried to kind of bounce back the rest of that interview. Um, but it just, I still, and then when I went back and listened to it afterwards to get it ready, I just, it brought back like those feelings of junior high when you, don't have friends and there's the cool table at lunch and you're not sitting at that cool table and the girls don't like you and you don't have very many friends. That feeling was so strong and it brought, it just really brought back all this PTSD that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And so I have mixed feelings about that one because I know how great it is and I know how wonderful he is, but because of that experience, it colors it all for me and I just feel dumb. I feel like somebody who was trying to be cool, sitting at the cool table with the cool kids and them kind of saying, get out of here after a while. Now he eventually apologized. He, in fact, he apologized at the end of the, of the interview. And then he did it again on Facebook later. So I, I we're good, but it just made me feel bad. Uh, I, I cleaned all that up so that they wouldn't have you known. Did. <laughs> you did. I didn't want the world hearing my, embarrassing situation i now i gotta say uh one of our listeners andy bolton love andy he mailed me recently guy's book which i read which was so interesting because (laughs) our interview is basically a distillation of that book i mean all the great stories that he told in the interview are featured in a slightly more depth in his book it was great and andy sent me richard jobson's book recently too I haven't read that one yet, but I read the Guy Pratt book. So thank you, Andy, for these wonderful gifts. And uh, I would re- highly recommend Guy's book. It's uh, it's just an expansion of our interview, really. 
Okay. So that's the guy Pratt story. Um, I got over it eventually. Um, Ellen Foley's deep dive. Yes. (laughs) You like that one? Yep. Yes. Yes. Ellen is great. great. Yes. And uh, a thanks to Brian Morris for this one, because after Jim Steinman died, I kind of had the thought I was working and I thought we should do a tribute. And then I thought, oh, I should think about who I want to get on for that. And then didn't think anything more about it um, for a few hours anyway. And shortly after that, Brian Morris chimes in and says, you should put, bring Ellen back on to do a Jim Steinman tribute. Before I'd even really had a chance to give it much thought, it was like, yes, of course, that's the obvious thing. So sh- sure enough, she comes back on, we do this time in tribute, and then I find out that she's got a new album coming out. And uh, I'm like, great, you can come back on, we'll talk about the new album, we'll deep dive one of the old classic albums, it'll be great. And sh- and I'm so happy to s- when this happens, I'm happy to say her new album, Fighting Words, is excellent. Excellent! I get so nervous when legacy people come on and they're pitching their new album and it's not very good or it's not as good as you want it to be or it's kind of a letdown compared to their old stuff not the case in fighting word fighting words at all it is great and she is wonderful why tell us why you like her so much yeah oh just oh she comes across in the interview as just like a really nice person Uh and that her voice is just kick ass yes it is it is. I love too how no nonsense she is, and she sees all of it. Her time in the music industry, the people. She kind of looks at it realistically, like, oh boy, this is. I don't know. She's got just a very practical opinion of those days. She didn't get caught up in it. She um, she doesn't look back at it like anyone's a superhero or you know perfect in any way she just is very matter of fact about it and i love that no nonsense style she's great i was really happy that that turned out and so go check out fighting words by the way folks it's great it's really good um after ellen was glenn tilbrook from squeeze i this is another one i have mixed feelings about because while it was happening i was thinking this guy doesn't feel very engaged with our conversation. I was imagining because I love squeeze so much, I'm imagining he's going to love that. I'm not asking him for the millionth time about this or that I'm going deeper because I love everything he's done. And some of you commented and said, maybe that took him by surprise. I don't know. I just felt like my love for him should warm the room and give us more chemistry than what was happening. But um, I will say that it was the exact interview I wanted to have. I got to ask everything I was interested in. And it wasn't maybe the normal beaten path that he normally gets asked, but it was what interested me. And so it was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to come away feeling like Glenn Tilbrook and I were going to be best friends. And we didn't. But he was great. And he, I got free tickets to see uh, the squeeze and Colin Hay in Salt Lake City. So I went on a road trip to see the concert and it was fantastic. And um, I'm really proud of that one. I just wished, I don't know, there had had more chemistry or something like that. What do you think? I thought he was actually pretty good. Really? Okay. Yeah, I liked him. 
I feel like that's one that I probably was getting into my own head too much, you know, worrying. And I was a little burned by Guy. And so I'm imagining people I love not loving me back and feeling dumb about it. So I probably need to get over it because it turned out great. And, the, and if if I look back and I look at that now, he's the only one out of the uh, the original guys out of Squeeze that I haven't seen. That's right. <laughs> I've seen That's right. I've seen Jules. I've seen uh, Chris Difford, Gilson, all on the same stage. Uh, awesome, <laughs> awesome, by the way. Yes. If yes. if you if you ever next time you're over here, if you're over here during like a July, not net, not July next year is no good because I'm going to see uh, Social Distortion on the same night that uh, Jules is playing here in Edinburgh. So I have to go see him somewhere else. Oh, but wow. uh, the Jules Holland big band is phenomenal and the first first one i went to see first time i went to see him chris was a special guest so i've seen i've seen most of squeeze together good and they actually i haven't seen jules yeah Yeah. we'll have to do it come across one yeah love that yeah love it um okay the week after that was one of my favorite interviews ever probably the best one of the year for me, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. But Ian McNabb from from uh, the Icicle Works. I uh, here's an, he's another one that I have tried to get on the show many times. He'll post on Facebook or something like that. You know, like ask me anything, and I'll say, "Will you?" Be, my question will be, "Will you be a guest on my podcast?" And he'll say, "Yes." Send me a message, and I do, and I never hear back from him. And that's happened two or three times over the years, and so. One of our listeners, uh, whose name is Martin, but I know him as Still Image on Twitter. Recently, I think it was after Glenn came out, he said something, if I remember right, to the effect of this is great. Now you should get on Ian McNabb. He tags Ian McNabb and producer Steve Levine on Twitter and says, you should have these guys on now. And both of them replied to his tweet saying, yes, let's do it. And I said, well, I've tried, Ian, getting you few times and you never show up you never respond he says i will this time and sure enough he did now steve levine did too but he has not i've emailed him a couple of times and not heard back i'm hoping that he'll come on too but um ian and i immediately uh kicked off on a great great conversation he was so funny and talk about people who are no nonsense understand their position in the rock world understand what's going on Ian gets it, and his stories were fantastic. It was so much fun. I love that episode. And he shared it, and he has lots of passionate fans, and they loved it too. It was great. Oh, I loved that one. That was, yeah. it was, I mean, we've, we've really been on a roll this year with so many great guests. I agree. Just let's keep it going. <laughs> I agree. I I got you know it's almost it in some it's good and bad because in some ways I think twice now when I think about lesser known bands that I would love to have on the show because we've had so much luck getting like bigger names. I mean they're still not gigantic names, but they're pretty big names, you know. And 
I'll discover some new band from the eighties or the seventies that were, that I would love to hear their story. And then I think, I don't know. I don't know if anyone would listen to that one and I shouldn't get stuck, get that stuck in my head. Cause that's not what we're about, but it, uh, it's just when you've got so many great people like Ian and Glenn and guy, um, coming on the show, I just worry I got to keep it going. And I probably don't need to think that way. I probably should just go back to doing what we do. Anyway, um, after Ian was, and so, oh, thanks to Still Image Martin for, for the push on that one. Casim uh, Sultan was the week after that. So Casim's history is largely with Todd Rundgren. I was, it was really kind of nice telling Casim my good and bad feelings toward Todd, or at least seeing Todd in concert. Thankfully, um, Todd is coming back through in about three weeks, and Casim was nice enough to put me on the list. So I'm going to go oh, see nice. Todd again here in a couple of weeks, in like three weeks. I'm pretty stoked about that. Nice. In fact, I have another story. Yeah. Um, and I don't normally like telling these stories, too, because it sounds it, they sound kind of like, look at me. But I don't I don't mean for it this way. Um, the Fix was currently on tour with the English Beat. And Cy from The Fix and Dave Wakeling from English Beat are two guys who have both said they would come on the show, and it's never worked out. And um, recently, English Beat got off the tour. I think it probably had something to do with COVID restrictions. And to fill in for them, they quickly grabbed Fastball, the band Fastball from the 90s, to be their, the Fix's opening act. When I saw that was happening and they were coming through town, we had Joey from Fastball on the show a couple of years ago, right? And uh, so I emailed Joey and I was like, I don't know if you remember me. And I never, I never asked for tickets because I'm going to get the ticket, whether, whether they say, whether they offer or not, I'm planning on going. So what I'll say is, Joey, you're coming through Denver. I don't know if you remember me, but I'd love to come shake your hand and say hello. And he replies and says, of course, I remember you. That's one of my favorite interviews ever. Bless his heart. And get this. Because the tour was thrown together so quickly, there's not enough money to have the entire band go on the tour. So it's just the two main guys, Tony and uh, Miles, uh, doing like an acoustic gig. And because Joey's the drummer, he's not going on tour. But he said, but I will put you on the list if you want, and you can get in anyway. So, so nice of Joey. He's not even going to be there. And he put me on the list, which was... not what I was going for, but a really, really sweet thing for him to do. In case anyone needed a, some more evidence that, that Fastball is a great band and Joey Sheffield's a great guy, there it is. So anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing Kasim. He was a super nice guy. You can totally see why he is a go-to session guy with Todd and Meatloaf and works so closely with Phil Thornalley and everybody in between because he's a sweetheart. And Phil, Phil's still one of my favorite episodes by the way me too me too um and knowing phil has um, has helped get other people on the show there's an interview that's coming out it's probably going to come out in december of um somebody else that he put me in contact with that i'm pretty excited about so it knowing phil has been good and i should say phil has a new astral drive album out he did his last one which was his love letter to todd rundgren and it was one of my favorite albums of the last few years. His n- latest Astral Drive album just came out. And I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be great. So I just wanted to mention that so everyone else could listen to it too. Um, now, Gary Langan 
came on, producer extraordinaire. Um, we did this one in four different sessions, I think. We uh, we talked for a half hour, and then he'd someone would come to the door, or he'd forget that he was needed to do something else, and so he'd leave, and we'd schedule it again for a week or two later. Talk for another 30, 40 minutes, then he'd have to cancel. So after four different interviews, we got it all together. I'm pretty sure that he was possibly drunk for all four. Close <laughs> to it. I don't know for sure, but he just seemed a little tipsy in a good way, you know? I, uh, I loved that one. As everyone knows, I love Trevor Horn. So anyone who works closely with Trevor, I love hearing those stories. He worked on some of my favorite albums ever, like uh, 90125. I always get it mixed up with Yes's album, Lexicon of Love from ABC. Um, I love that he tells it like it is. That's also, that's our biggest episode of the last few months, bigger even than Guys. I don't know how, because I don't think he shared it, but it just took off. Um, I love that one, and I love that it happened, and I love that he was probably tipsy the entire time because it made for it to even be more entertaining. Nice. Do you remember that one at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. I mean, that one probably was... took a lot of work on your end. That one was a little daunting for, in terms of the amount of work that was on it. I'm like, oh. But yeah. it, was, it was great. I mean, it turned out turned out good and he was he, he comes he came across I didn't think he came across as drunk really yeah okay I just wondered he was so kind of loose and uh seemed a little tipsy to me I just wondered if maybe he was you know nursing some nursing a drink while we were chatting it that's not a, a criticism of him in any way it just made him even more droll and um fun I thought if it's true. If it's not, then he was just great with or without it. Um, okay, let's see. After that, we had John Azelwood back on. I love John. I love hearing him talk. I love what he has to say. I love his accent. I love how thoughtful he is. I love that he talks to us. Every time he comes on TV, which isn't a lot, it's just on a couple of shows on Access TV. Every time he's on, I think, I know that guy. I've talked to that guy. I love it. And um, when I saw that he was putting out this book on Joy Division and New Order, I thought, absolutely. What's sweet is that he actually, I when he and the publishing company were sort were working on a marketing campaign, they asked him, "Who would you like to interview you?" And I think he said me, or not as the only interview, but I think he said, "I've been on this podcast before. I like this guy. I'd I'd like I'd go back and talk to him about the book." which meant a lot because I've been trying to get John or been thinking about having John back on for a while because who wouldn't want to sit and talk with someone about British music of the eighties than me and him. It's perfect. And I loved his book. I loved it. And, um, I thought he did a wonderful job with it. And so it was so nice having him back on to hear more of his stories and just the way he thinks and the way he talks. I love it. Oh, he was, he's awesome. I really need to, Read more of his stuff. He's, yeah. he's good. Yeah. Me too. It's interesting. He also does a lot of football, soccer 
writing too. And so I follow him on Twitter and so much of what he posts on Twitter is about like some soccer team's coach or, you know, got fired or these guys scored or the pitch. And I don't know anything about soccer or football. So I don't know what he's talking about half the time, but it's just so interesting that this guy that I could talk to for hours about music tweets all this sports stuff. I'm a big sports guy, just not a soccer guy that I know nothing about. I can't, I have nothing I can say about it, but anyway, yeah. he's the best. I'm, we're going to have to maybe get him back on periodically. I, I heard from a few of you that were like, just bring John on once a month and chat. Oh, and, and, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely up for bringing him back on periodically. He's, he has a great insight into stuff. I agree. I agree. And he's been there. Um, now, in keeping with that, talk about a great insight. I'm so glad we had Tessa Niles on. She was so wonderful. So for anyone who doesn't know, we had a couple of years ago, we had Dolette McDonald on. It's still one of our favorite episodes ever. And um, she emailed me shortly after and she said, you should have on my friend Tessa Niles. She has written this book and she introduced us over email. And I said, you know, Tessa, I would love to have you on. Let me read your book first and then we'll schedule something. She said, great. And as I said, I just got busy and had not gotten around to reading her book. And thankfully, six months ago or so, someone gave me or there like an audible gift card or there was a promotion going on or whatever it was um, to have like two free books on audible. I was like, great, now's my chance. I've been meaning to read Tessa's book forever. I'm about to leave for Hawaii anyway, so I can listen to her book on the flight. So I got her book and I got Chris France's book, uh, Remain in Love, which I think is for next our next recap. So anyway, I got those two books and I listened to them on the flight to and from Hawaii. And she was just about the sweetest, nicest person in the world. And her book is fantastic because especially if you listen to it versus read it, she is telling you the story and she does a lot of the voices and hearing it from her perspective in that sweet voice of hers just made it 10 times better. And all these stories, and it was interesting too, because I was having, maybe you get like this too sometimes, Jan, where it kind of hits you that your dad's gone and most of the time you're okay and then every now and then you kind of sink into some depression or feeling a little lost or whatever i was feeling it that day and after we were done doing the interview she and i still talked for another five or ten minutes just about she let me vent on her about dad and life and morality and spirituality and all these things that come to mind when you lose a loved one and uh i'm just so grateful for her she was wonderful wonderful uh, wasn't she awesome yes yeah and to my mind, anybody wanting to be a backing singer, this interview is gold. She was yes. fabulous. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, agree. Yeah, she she really came, like you said. She really came across as just a, a really super nice person, sweet and genuine. And she left it all behind for her family, and. Um, just the, the live aid stories. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. say in the book that David Bowie messes up her name. But when I watched the clip before I talked to her and I noticed it, I was so glad that I did because that sparked a fun story. Um, she was just, she was just wonderful. I loved her. 
more let's have more like her. She was she yeah. was really good. Yeah. I actually talked with another backup singer recently. That episode will probably be out in January, maybe sooner than that. We'll see. But um, that sparked me to go track down some others. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully there's more of that to come. Uh, okay, the last episode of this period is with Martin Briley. Um, I had been meaning to get Martin on for a while because I love that song, "The Salt of Our Salt of My Tears," and. Um, who doesn't know that? That's just oh, like it's so good. It's still I have that. Yeah, I had that piece years ago. Did you really? In my iTunes library. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Like ten years ago, more yeah. maybe. It's it's so good, and it is so good. His work is fabulous. He he deservedly keeps busy. Yes. Yeah, I had been meaning to have him on for a while. And what's interesting is that that's one of those song things where I think people know the song, but maybe forget who sings it, you know, because it was kind of a one-hit wonder. And his personal solo career was so short-lived, that, and he's been kind of doing behind-the-scenes stuff ever since, that it's not like he's a household name. But people rep- remember that song and remember it fondly, and then they have to ask themselves, who even sings this? And it's this guy, Martin Briley. And he posted, we've been Facebook friends for years because... I've been meaning to have him on and just never gotten around to it. And he posted something recently about the new music he was making that he was proud of. And it was with the Dead Sea Squirrels. And um, that was really good. I have to say, it's a little confusing. I heard from a couple of you that that were like, how do I even find this? I'm pretty sure it's on Bandcamp. I don't think it's on Spotify. I don't think you can buy it unless you buy it through Bandcamp. If you need a uh, link, tell me and I'll send it to you because it's really good, but it's obscure. So I thought, well, now's the time. Let's go after Martin. And uh, he was he's very dry and very um, self-critical, does not take himself seriously at all, kind of makes fun of himself in that very droll British way. But he, um, I wanted to honor him because his stuff is so good. But he would be the last person to tell you that. And there was the thing that I took from that conversation that I think I mentioned in there is how desperate people were get, were back then for any kind of for money from the record company, you know. Uh-huh. And in his case, it was well, I don't have any. I just went on tour with who was it? Ellen Foley, maybe. I just got off a tour. I have no money. My girlfriend or wife or whatever spent it all uh what i either need a gig backing up somebody else i need to hop on someone else's tour or uh i need someone to record one of my songs let's see none of those things are happening i guess i'll sign my own record deal i'll put out my music because then i can get paid so he did that but it wasn't that he was like dying to be a solo artist it was that he just needed a gig of some kind and that was the one that was available to him because yeah, take, otherwise he had to go get a regular job. Take what you can get when you get it. Yeah. And you and I just you don't think about that because this would have been 79, 80, something like that. And but that was the deal. Let's see. I need something. I need to pay my bills. Um if no one's gonna record one of my songs and I can't get on I don't know, Meatloaf's next concert tour, I guess I'll just put out my own album and the label will front me some money and I can live off that for a while really wild and, oh and i should say bless his heart he mailed me that box set so i as i mentioned in the episode his 
three solo albums are really hard to find. They're probably on vinyl out there, but I collect CDs and they're not out there. And but you can get a box set or a two two disc collection called the Mercury Years that include his three albums and some demos and B sides. But it sells for like a hundred bucks on Amazon. And I mentioned on the episode, like, sorry guys, it's gonna you know it's so expensive. Good luck finding it or whatever. And he emailed me later to thank me for the episode and asked what my home address was. He ended up mailing it to me. So now I have that thing that I wanted so bad. And he signed it. I'm so grateful. It was so, and it's excellent. And now I have it. And it's from the man himself. I'm so grateful. Ah, Awesome. Yeah. So cool. Anyway. Okay. That's our last uh, quarter. I think it was pretty good. Don't you? I had a good quarter. I mean, I got to, I got to do, I got to do some some cool stuff. I mean, yeah. and uh, I was uh, just for a, a fun aside. I was looking back through the Facebook page to, you know, to find out what what episodes Ken worked on, and the Vapor Crusados was the one was the day of my dad's funeral. But going back through the Glenn Glenn Tilbrook one, the the one that you post the that you posted for the like the the banner page for that day to to show who the guest is gonna be. Tilbrook's wearing this shirt that I always think that looks like something Green Garchide would would wear. <laughs> and uh, and and then I get to see Scritty Pulitti in Glasgow. Oh I am so jealous and not everybody realized that you posted that and not me. Cause I'm usually the one that posts the concert pictures. So I still have people emailing me saying, how was this gritty Politi concert? And I'm like, I would like to know because I didn't get to go. <laughs> yeah. I got to go to one of oh, my favorite awesome. bands of all time. It was awesome. Yeah. I, Cause they did that for the, the anniversary of the, Cubans like eighty five album. That was, and they that's this tour is was apparently the first time they've ever played that whole album. Ugh. On the show, on the show. Yeah, I'm so so jealous that you got to go to that. That is like a dream show of mine. Um, and then, and then in De- so like in December, I got I'll see Big Country again. So I'll, so Mark will be there, I'm sure. Uh, and then also in the same bill is Skids. So nice. Richard will be there. And then three days later, I'm seeing Delamitri. So oh. in, in Glasgow, at probably one of my favorite uh, places for a gig. The Barlands? Uh-huh. It's a sprung, uh, sprung ballroom floor. So once the once the place gets going, the floor just uh, jumps. Oh, uh, so incredibly jealous! I don't get to see any of those. So jealous. I do have Todd Rundgren coming up in the fix, and I bought a ticket to see Nick Lowe. I love Nick Lowe, and the Ocean Blue are coming through, who I are one of my very favorites. They've been on the show. I don't feel. Like I know them well enough to ask for a free ticket, but and and their show is sold out. So I'm a little nervous because I might have missed my window to go see Ocean Blue, but I do love them. I'm hoping to be able to see them soon too. 
anyway, shows are kind of back in the back in motion. We're back in action again. I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah, me too. Well, buddy, thanks for uh, everything. I know that this year has been especially hard for you and um, with everything, everything, everything else you have going on. And I'm just grateful that we get to keep doing this together. And if this ever becomes a trial or a problem or you get sick of it or whatever, just tell me. Because if it's if you're sick of it, I probably won't want to do it anymore. Oh no, so I can keep me. going. Okay. <laughs> in some respects, I'm like a machine. <laughs> you are very much uh, so. Bert Kreischer is not the machine; it's me. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> yep. Well, good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for doing this with me. Um, I wanted to announce our closeout song. So, one of our lists, as you know, we try to play a song that is available for purchase by one of our listeners. One of our listeners, Dave Meyer. He has a band called The Bitter Elegance, and they recently put out their fourth album. It's called Scream Inside Your Heart, and their their single, it's called It's Our Time, and that's the song we're going to go out to. Um, these guys are great. Uh, if you, I listened to the whole album. I liked it all, and as I said, there's four of them. So if you want to check out The Bitter Elegance and support our buddy Dave Meyer, please do give this a listen. See what you think. All right? Just know that